After generating over a million dollars in sales and selling one of her businesses with a single email, your host, Katherine Thompson, takes an unconventional approach to marketing and sales. So if you're ready to tap into a more powerful way to be seen, heard, and a sought-after entrepreneur in your industry without having to spend endless hours marketing your business and chasing clients, you're in the right place. Be the Sought-After Entrepreneur Podcast is here to help you ditch the cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all approach to marketing and use your unique energy to effortlessly attract the most aligned clients. When you do this, you can spend less time marketing your business and more time doing your soul work and enjoying the richness of your life. Welcome to Be the Sought After Entrepreneur Podcast. And here's your host, Katherine Thompson. Welcome back. Super stoked that you're tuning into this week's episode. And I cannot wait to introduce our next guest to you. Yes, I said guests with an S. I have my first duo on the show, Tim Swindle and Scott Brown, who are the founders of Paddle Smash. Think pickleball meets spike ball. If you don't know what pickleball is, I think you might be living under a rock because it is the fastest growing sport, I think, or it is one of the fastest growing sports out there. And it is so much freaking fun. I tried it for the first time a few summers ago with my father-in-law who really loves pickleball. And then I've played it with friends of ours. And I'm a bit competitive. If you don't know that already, uh, I'm a bit competitive. And I gave up playing soccer in 2020 after I injured my Achilles. And I've had this recurring Achilles heel, basically. And my Achilles has just never been the same. And so I thought, hmm, I'm going to try playing pickleball. It's low impact, unless you're competitive like me. Uh, and you start diving all over the court. It's kind of fun. Anyways, if you haven't played pickleball, absolutely, you need to try it. But what's super cool is Tim Swindle and Scott Brown are both eight-figure entrepreneurs with experience in launching, buying, growing, and selling outdoor and board games-focused companies. The current project that they have is this new outdoor game called Paddle Smash. It is a combination of pickleball and spikeball. So much freaking fun. You can buy it. You can take it to a park. You can take it on vacation with you. It's super cool. And they're going to share with you how to use online trends to create hit products. So without further ado, please welcome Tim and Scott to the show. Cheers. Hey, hey, I am super stoked to have Scott and Tim on the show today. They are are my first duo, which I'm really excited about. And they're here to share with us... um, how they turn their pickleball passion into a business. So Scott, I'm going to start with you. Do you want to share with our listeners um, who you are and what you guys do uh, so that they know? Yeah. So I'm Scott Brown and I mean, pickleball passion. I think that that's what, <laughs> what I tend to do most days is I play a lot of pickleball. It's not what I do for a living, unfortunately, um, but I'm trying to, trying to make it a living now. So I think I, I've spent my entire career almost in the toy and game space. So no complaints. I get to play for a living. Um, I'm always on the lookout for something that's nicely aligned with things I love to do. And I started to get really into pickleball about two years ago. And I mean, it's hard not to see these days that it is a massive trend. Fastest growing sport in North America. Teams just recently purchased by LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Tom Brady. Um, and so, you know, as I was playing, I, it was hard not to notice that this thing was becoming massive. And I started to think with my business hat on, was there an opportunity here? 
And I think it was a gold rush to the space. It is a gold rush to the space. And most are getting into kind of the apparel, the pickle balls, the paddles. And I just wanted to figure out if there was a clever way to get into the space without competing with everyone else head on. And yeah. so that's kind of what brought us to this product that we're going to be talking to you about today. But that's a bit of background on me. I've got a lot longer story that we can get into, but that's uh, some quick and dirty context. So cool. And and what got you guys working together? Have you always worked together or how did that partnership start? Yeah, so my background. So I was actually in software. I was uh, created a, a software that was a B2B software. It was uh, very different from Toys and Games. And uh, it was like a venture-backed company that, um, I don't know, it was a very stressful time in my life. And it's kind of like a fun passion project on the side. I decided to create a card game. And uh, the card game was just kind of like a silly, um, akin to like Cards Against Humanity, if you're familiar with that uh, game that had been super popular the past several years. So just kind of a late night party game with friends. And um, so I launched that game uh, as like a, you know, nights and weekends side hustle. And I did a little Kickstarter. It got funded, didn't go crazy on Kickstarter, but it got funded. So it was kind of the first, first win. And through that, uh, we were both living in Chicago at the time and uh, knew kind of a mutual friend that knew Scott, who had started a company called Marbles the Brain Store. And they were like a specialty retailer in the toy and game space. And uh, so he actually was the first retailer to carry my game, which was called Utter Nonsense. And so that is how we got to know each other. Um, so yeah, he, he carried my game and, and his stores. And uh, he's got kind of a, a cool story of, of, of what he did there with Marbles the Brain Store to grow it to 40 locations nationwide. And um, so that, that got us working together in some capacity. And through that relationship, we ultimately became pretty close friends. I, I ended up selling my company to a big private equity-backed toy and game company. Um, Scott also ended up selling his company to a large Canadian publicly traded toy and game company. Uh, but we'd always vowed to, to do something together. And so the opportunity presented itself with this latest game, Paddle Smash. And so here we are. Yeah. So share with me what Paddle Smash is. Paddle Smash, the best way to think about it is it's a love child of pickleball and spike ball. So for those brand new to either of those terms, I'm going to give some context. So I, as I said, pickleball massively growing. I've heard people describe it as jumbo ping pong or miniature tennis. Uh, you're, you're playing it typically kind of on a, on a smaller version of a tennis court and you're playing with kind of jumbo sized ping pong paddles and then a yeah. wiffle ball. It, it feels like it's just hit the scene. It's actually been around since the 1960s, but it was like a slow, slow growth. And then for a bizarre combination of reasons, it's really spiked in growth over the last call it four years. Um, and then spike ball has been the fastest growing, most successful outdoor game over the last 10 years. I actually had like a ground eye view to that success with my stores. Uh, as Tim mentioned, I had brick and mortar retail stores, and we were one of the very first retailers to carry spike ball. Uh, he was based in Chicago. My stores were started in Chicago. I lived there. And so got to know the founder of that company and we helped him grow. And it was really exciting to see that growth. And I got to see the way an outdoor game resonated and what they did to help it to grow. And so I think 
both of those worlds, we've kind of, Tim and I are always on the lookout for trends. Uh, Tim and I were kind of looking for what the next thing was that we could do together. And we saw the growth of both of those. And we actually started noodling this idea of, well, what if you were to combine some of the best elements of both of those games into one game? Actually even sketched it out. I've got this early stage sketch of this. And as it happens, I was introduced to an inventor that lives just an hour away from me um, at that exact same time. And he presented to me a combination of spike ball and pickleball. And Crazy. it's funny how that often happens in the world of invention. Yeah. And I actually love it. I think it's great. It shows that something's in the ether. And it, to me, indicates that you're onto something. Yeah. And so, we, you know, we had this offer that kind of this moment of, well, do we run with our idea or do we work with this inventor? And I just, through kind of lots of experience, learned that it's usually the better, the, the better ideas to work with an inventor. The biggest reason here is he had refined this concept over two years. And yeah. we just were at the very early stages. I didn't want to go through two years of refinement. So what we did was we licensed this idea from him. And the quick and dirty kind of overview of how this plays is it's it's a little bit like you know volleyball in that you've got to you've got to work with a teammate to bump, set, and smash in our case the ball back into the court. Um, yeah. So this game plays best two versus two. You're working with your teammate and you are hitting this ball back and forth until on the third shot you have to hit it back into the court it's then the other team's turn to use their paddles to bump set and then smash it back into the court and you go back and forth like that hitting into this base our base is on the ground it's it's shaped like a hexagon yep. and you are then are, are rotating around that uh working your way kind of to get that shot back into the court so it's so it's fun. best seen rather than explained so we've got lots of videos out there if anyone just does a google search of paddle smash or goes to paddlesmash.com you can see a quick visual of what that looks like it is to me it captures all of the best elements of both of those games what i love about pickleball is it's so accessible to a broad range of ages what I love about Spikeball is that you've got this portable game that you can easily take to the park and set up. Well, we've done both of those things. We've made it so basically it's pickleball to go and yep. it's easier than Spikeball. Um, Spikeball is just a little bit uh, exclusive. It's just, it's hard to play for older adults. And so we've made a game that's just a bit easier so that, you know, families can play together. Yeah. So cool that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can, you're bringing it because I know here where I'm located. And when I was first introduced to pickleball by my uh, father-in-law, like we'd go show up at courts and they'd be full and there'd be nowhere to play. And you're like waiting in line or like, when are you going to be done? And can we get the, on the court and all of that? So this is super cool that you're able to take this um, and it's accessible for all ages, so to speak. Cause I think that's the thing that really took off where I am for pickleball was like the older generation being able to play it. And then obviously the younger generation getting their hands on it. Now I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing. But I actually just ran into someone who was like, what is pickleball? And was like, have you been living under a rock? Because <laughs> it's like the fastest growing sport. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so how do you identify then trends like to, to start to create products like this or games? Like how do, how do you go about that uh, process? Is it something that you're passionate in and that's what kind of drives it or starts it? Or how does the whole process start? So in, in our case, you know, Scott in, in particular, uh, his role for the past several years has been to the chief as the chief merchant officer 
he would basically go around and look for new products. He, he'd go to all the different towing game fairs around the world and yeah. hunt basically for these hidden gems. Um, so he's really attuned to looking for, you know, what could be a good hit product. And he's personally brought like 160 products to life. Um, I'm a little less, less so in that regard, but have still brought a few things, you know, to, to, to the world that have ultimately been successful. So I think between the two of us, you know, we maybe have some decent taste in, in, in games and, and toys and what could be, you know, potentially popular in the future. And um, so, I mean, the, there are some just kind of obvious answers to your question, which are being paying attention to like pop culture, right? So we just have been talking about pickleball. Like you really can't, unless you're this person you just met, um, yeah. you can't avoid he hearing about pickleball these days. Yeah. I mean, it's just everywhere. Um, and so you just keep hearing th that enough times and it's like, all right, like there's something going on here you know, like, how can we get involved? And then you just start brainstorming. Um, another one would just be social media. You look at trends happening on, on social media and things that are getting popular there, you know, then you start to think through, are there ways to create a product around a certain particular trend? Um, I can give, you know, one specific example is another game that Scott and I collaborated on that was this like ping pong trick shot game. And it was kind of what happened was during the, uh, lockdown period during COVID, you had all these people kind of stuck inside playing ping pong trick shots in their house, just with like house made like like pots and pans and things like that. So we actually created a game around that. It's just like oh, an cool. example of like a trend we saw kind of happening. So yeah, I mean, it's just kind of staying attuned. You know, Scott gives a great example of you know there's a difference between a like domesticated dog and a dog in the wild. Domesticated dogs has floppy ears because it's fat and happy at home no one's trying to eat it you know yeah. <laughs> a dog yeah. in the wild it's got its ears up like antennas you know and it's paying attention and i think both scott and i just kind of have our ears up looking for for new ideas and paying attention to what you know trends are happening in pop culture yeah so cool and i know uh, scott had talked about like not wanting to just enter the market of pickleball and just do shirts or balls or rackets or whatever that you're looking to do something different. And do you feel like that is like the most important thing when hopping on a trend? Because so that you're not getting, um, you know, the market doesn't get saturated with other things and competition and all of that. Like, how are you going about trying to find these two things that can merge together that are different? Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that's always the case. I think you yeah. can go right after a trend and kind of, enter the fray yeah and certainly people getting into the pickleball space creating paddles there will still be big success stories in that space that haven't even started so yeah. i wouldn't caution someone away from pickleball we're still it's so early there i where i like it um you know certainly established um established marketplaces i think it's an, a smart idea to look for tangential ways to get in um and in this one, even though it is early stage, we just really like the idea that we could kind of ride the coattails of these without feeling like we were competing against um, gotcha. those. So it just made sense for us. You know, Tim talks about like, how do you spot a good, good idea or how do you make a good idea? And so many of the best ideas are combinations of things that already exist. It's really rare. I, I kind of liken it to cooking. I love to cook. It's really rare that there's new ingredients 
yeah. in a recipe. It's just the rearranging of the, of the same ingredients we've always used and you create something new. And certainly in toys and games, that's the case. I mean, I could name the, the top toys and games over the last decade. All of them are just mix-ups uh, and rearranging of ingredients of existing successes. And so, I mean, that's a really good way, I think, to think about opportunity out there is to look at successes. So, you know, you might say, well, burgers are a really successful food right category right now. Well, I don't want to make a burger restaurant. That's really, really competitive. Yeah. But Korean food is a really successful style of food right now. Well, maybe I make a Korean burger brand. You know, you just kind of mix, mix up these two successful categories into something that feels a little fresh and new. And for us, it, it hopefully will work really well. Two, two examples. Yeah. One is that we are working with a partner called Chicken and Pickle. They are kind of an entertainment idea. It's like top golf, but for pickleball. So oh, cool. you come, you play pickleball, you get food, you have fun. It's awesome. And they're going to be going around the country attending these uh, pickleball tournaments. And they're just looking for something to attract attention to their booth, to kind of say, hey, come and learn about us. Well, they can't have a pickleball court in that booth, but they can have a product like ours. And we're not competing against them in any way. And so we kind of end up being this thing that people like to have to attract attention. It's like, you know, portable pickleball um, without it feeling like it's competing against anything they're doing. So that's a really nice kind of ride the coattails of. And then the other is just, you know, we went into this knowing we wanted to ultimately get into brick and mortar retail, but thinking we would delay that until we had established ourselves a little bit more in the direct consumer market. Yeah. And, but we knew we needed to get some feelers out to the brick and mortar retailers. And we kind of had in our head three that we wanted to target out of the gate. We sent emails and totally cold. Um, and when you send a cold email to a buyer of a big company, you do not expect to hear back yeah. or at least not to hear back without lots and lots of attempts. Well, we heard back immediately, really wow. three for three heard back immediately. And I credit that almost entirely to the fact that we are hitching our wagon to such big opportunities, such successes. I mean, these buyers, I am sure are being told by their bosses, anything pickleball related, you find. Yeah. So that's one. And then two, they've had such success with Spikeball that for them, when they get an email that says we've created a game that combines spike ball with pickleball, I think they're like, yes, please. I mean, yeah. yes, please. And so we, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, the biggest outdoor sporting goods retailer in the U.S., uh, we sent a cold email to, heard back immediately. They invited us to their offices in Pittsburgh to pitch. Even then, we expected if they were to bring it in, it would be next summer. Yeah. They expedited the launch. They, wow. I don't know if they do this very often. It was like, these guys plan a year in advance and they were like, we want to bring it in now. Basically we got, we got orders within weeks of that meeting um, to launch this fall in, in test stores because they're so eager for anything related to pickleball. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the combination, like you said, right. is like taking two really popular things and kind of like meshing it together, which I think is, is also really unique, right. It's like, it's not, yes, Pickleball is still very new and it's, it's on the rise and all of that. But I think what you guys have done is, is a really cool combination of smash ball and pickleball. Um, and that's so cool that you got into Dick sporting. Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing. So 
in terms of the inventor, because you talked about the inventors, like what, tell our listeners what it takes to actually bring an idea to market and why finding that inventor was so, you know, the universe kind of just delivered this inventor that's like lives down the street from you basically, um, which is so cool. But why the inventor piece is it, it kind of maybe expedited you, you going to market faster. So with, with any idea, a lot of times they sound great on paper, Yeah, uh, but it's not until you are actually physically using, touching, feeling, playing with the product um, that you can kind of understand if there's something really there. Yeah, And this is particularly true, I would imagine with a lot of products, but particularly true with toys and games. Like you just need to use it and to play it. And so while Scott and I and our brains thought that this concept we had sketched up would work, this gentleman, Joe, he had actually gone out and built it. So he built this prototype. Um, Joe's a, a structural engineer by trade. He's just good with his hands. He can, you know, he's, he knows how to use a router and a CNC machine and stuff like that. And um, so he created a really nice prototype, uh, ni nicer than we usually see, but that that's a big thing. We would encourage anyone to try to, in, in whatever way possible, kind of Frankenstein something together that yeah. you can actually like use to see if your idea has merit. And so in this case, he had created he kind of several versions and he iterated on it over a period of like two years. And each time he would play it with his neighbors and friends and family. So that's a really critical component and piece of bringing a new product to market again particularly in toys and games is that play testing we call it yeah and he you know we he sped up that process for us because he had done that over a period of two years whereas if we wanted to do that it would take us at least a year to create the prototype play test it refine it etc and so we just found enough value in what he did and just the sizing of all the components and and, and the, the angles of the net and just all these little nuanced things that you probably don't think through that just he really perfected. Yeah. That being said, he also, um, what he did create was not ready for mass retail. It was a, I think the thing was probably like 60 pounds. Like you couldn't <laughs> carry it. It was yeah. like, a, like a UFO. Oh my God. Um, and so what we had to do was then re-engineer how we could create this, what he did, but make it so it's uh, mass producible, ready for retailers, portable, just pick it up, throw it in your, you know, in, in the back of your car, take it to the beach, whatever. So we did have enough work to do just with that. So we worked with like design, you know, industrial design engineering firm to kind of recreate what he did, but in a, you know, again, you know, version that we could take to, to market. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, I mean, that's a little bit of, you know, why we chose to work with them and the benefits of working with, with an inventor. Yeah. Expedite that sort of like testing phase or play phase of, uh, mm -hmm. where you're, yeah, you're kind of learning. Um, and pretty funny that, yeah, it was 60 pounds, not really, uh, portable. Um, no, no. uh, so in terms of deciding to go direct consumer first, is that traditional? Like when you do develop a like a toy or a game or whatever, is it important to go to direct consumer, get those sales in the door to then pitch brick and mortar? Or what was your guys' thinking about why do brick and mortar second and direct to consumer first? Yet there's some irony 
that that's my approach considering I used to be a, a an owner of a retail chain of stores that I would opt to not go to retail first. Um, but I think there's been some lessons learned by both of us over the last decade. Traditionally, so you ask, is it traditional to go direct to consumer first? And I'd say no, certainly traditionally, the only option really was to go straight to a retailer. Yeah. In toys and games, the I'd say the traditional route for anyone except for the kind of top five um, was to start in specialty. Yep. So kind of the mom and pa world of, of specialty retail. And then work your way up, build a, a, an awareness of the brand and work your way up and then hopefully get noticed by mass market. For the big top five players, they just go straight to mass market and they've got the relationships and the marketing budgets to be able to do that. But if you were a brand new brand and you happen to get into a mass market store, you, you are basically just praying that it succeeds, but it's through almost sheer luck if it does, yeah. um, because you don't have generally the budget to advertise that thing. And you're kind of just relying on your packaging to do the work because you don't have an employee like a specialty shop to tell someone about that product. Um, you know, there are miracles. Tim's Tim's game, Utter Nonsense, was a bit of a miracle. Cool. He got it into Target almost out of the gate, and it was a success. But he, again, was riding the coattails of a category of games, kind of these adult party games, Pioneer being Cards Against Humanity. And so Tim, you know, smart enough to create a game that kind of rode those co coattails. But for most, that's not a very viable way to bring a product to market. We We knew this. And what we sort of grew tired of was this, the dynamic of you build something. Okay. So number one, the specialty route is long and hard. It's yeah. expensive, long and hard. You know, you really like got to dedicate maybe 10 years of like slogging to wow. get something. Often that's the case. Um, and we didn't want to do that. And the world has now opened up an opportunity to go direct to consumer like never before, you know, between Amazon and sites like Shopify, you can build your own website and get in front of consumers fairly easily these days. And we also didn't like the idea of creating something and then begging a mass market buyer to carry it. It just, it, it creates a relationship that you are at their mercy. And we didn't want to be at their mercy. We wanted to first build enough of a demand around it. That then we kind of came to the table together and not that we wouldn't still want to be in those mass market stores, but we don't want to beg for it. Um, yeah. And so our, our approach was let's go direct to consumer, build enough of a demand and awareness that we've proven the concept uh, out. And then it's less of a risk for these, these mass market retailers. And also it just gives the product a better chance of success. Um, you know, it, it, if you've got some demand built up and then you put it onto those mass market shelves, well, at least there's some awareness going around that can help that succeed. Yeah. And is there iterations of the product? Like, has the product evolved? Like, now that you've put it out there, people are trying it. Like, have you, is, it, is there improvements? If somebody was, say, listening and they're like, I want to create a product or a game, you know, is that built into sort of your plan of launching? Is some iterations and evolution of the product? So of, the, of the, the main product, we'll call it, um, I would say not really for the time being. However, uh, if one kind of 
example of just seeing what it's like being in a startup situation like we are. So when we first started, we just kind of took the rules that the inventor had uh, provided to us. And we, we rushed to get the design ready. We went into production because the lead time for production and, and shipping and whatnot is like six months. And so uh, we were really wanting to get it launched as quickly as possible. And after we had already released our production run, um, we discovered a new way to play the game. Mm. So that that would be a good example of where, you know, we've made a change on the fly. So here we've got our first, you know, thousand plus units uh, that are on their way to us. And, and we've changed the, the instructions and, and, and the, how you play it. Um, not majorly changed, but like some key differences that we just feel like really make the game more fun, easier to learn, you know, that type of a thing. And so I guess what we did do though, is we somewhat thought ahead in that these types of things happen. Yeah. And instead of including kind of full instructions in the, bo in the box and the packaging, we actually created a QR code that takes you to the instructions. So when you first get it, you just scan the QR code, it takes you to how to play. So fortunately, all we've had to really do is, is update, you know, our how to play instructions online. And that's like a living, breathing document. So in the future, if we were to change things, you know, we can always just, you know, update them online and not worry about these, you know, legacy instructions that are sitting out there somewhere. Um, so yeah, that would be, you know, one, one example for you. Yeah. Um, and, and what a cool way to like adapt that, right? Like, cause most games come with like the paper instructions in there, but yeah, to have that QR code and be able to update that as, as the game, do you see it, the rules changing or things changing as you go along or is it kind of pretty set right now? I think it's pretty set. Yeah, yeah, we feel we feel really good about where the game's at, you know, and so I, again, because of the work he did over the past two years to really iron it, figure out. out, figure out, you know, a lot of like the dimensioning and sizing components and things like that. I mean, those are types of things that, yeah, maybe those get tweaked minorly in the future, but nothing really, uh, no, no, no big overhaul of the product that, that we could see at this point. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned the whole, you know, going to kind of the mom and pop and that can be like a 10 year route sort of thing. Like if, you know, someone's listening and they're wanting to produce a game or a product or whatnot, like how, how long, and maybe this, you might not be able to answer this, but like, what's a, what's a length of time? Cause that, that's a big commitment, right? It's like to really get there to sort of like beg for these people to put your product in their store. Like when, when do you say like the product's going to take off or the product's going to, you know, maybe not. And I need to, to move to a different idea or something like that. That's, that is a question that's answered best by how much runway you have for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it really depends. Uh, you know, if you've got a lot of runway, you can, number one, you can build a very successful business that's only sold in mom, pa specialty toy, toy stores. Yeah. There are lots of companies that don't even sell their products to mass market retail. Um, so you can do that. It's just, I'd say it's just harder. It's, yeah. it's, it takes longer. Um, it's all hard. It just takes longer. Uh, with mass market, I mean, it, 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 like, you know, you go to a mom pos shop in your neighborhood and they might have two locations. Well, if you get into a Target store, they've got 1,800 locations. I mean, you're immediately in 1800 doors and they're buying six units. I mean, it is, it's a massive first order that you get. I mean, even us, you think like, 
you know, we're doing this direct consumer business and we have some mom paw shops reaching out to us about paddle smash and they'll buy six from us. I mean, that's nice. It's great. But you know, it's like even in test stores of Dick's sporting goods, they're buying in one order, 300 units. And you just see the volume game um, behind this mass market. So, I mean, to answer your original question, I don't think I would, I would not probably put a timeline on it. There's not one blanket timeline to, to put on it. It depends a lot on each situation. For me personally, if I don't feel like I've got traction, so it's kind of real movement, probably within a year and a half, I will usually cut the cord. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. For me, if I don't feel like I'm getting some movement, uh, getting kind of some organic sales without me needing to constantly be pushing it, then I, I will usually cut the cord. I've done that recently with some card games that I had going and I just wasn't getting the movement I needed. And to yeah. me, I just am like, I've got a million other ideas. I'll... I'll move on to something else and give it a try. I don't need to spend the next 10 years of my life just trying to push this out into people's hands. Yeah. And so uh, speaking of million ideas, I was going to be my next question is like, I know you guys have this product that's on the market. Like, do you have other things that are in the works right now together? This is our our main focus right now. I mean, we do... Yes, by the nature yeah. of who we are, I think we just have our hands in a, in a, in a couple different. I'll just call them more side hustles. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this this is we are. We, I mean, we've we've raised capital for this. Like we're we're looking at this as like this is going to be what we're focused on for the coming however many years. I mean, we we think the opportunity is huge with this, and we're taking it very seriously. And so this is what's eating up and consuming most of our time right now. Yeah, it's 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 a very cool, very cool concept. So where can people get it if they want to get their hands on it? You can go to paddlesmash.com. So yeah, paddlesmash.com is our our Shopify site. That's a great place to go. Um, lots of information there. Uh, you can often find a, a discount there. So uh, that's that, that's a great option. But also we have a uh, we have an Amazon store. So I understand that's a quicker and easier way for people's often to to make a purchase so we'd love for people to buy it there as well and then um you know we'll be in select exporting goods stores in the next couple of weeks you know we're we're filming this uh late october 2022 so in the next couple of weeks and then hopefully a lot more stores in the spring um and then the other is shields if you're living near a shields this next spring will be in shields which is a sporting goods store and then just lots more you know we are that is a constantly changing answer, but the back, the immediate places are paddlesmash.com and, and on Amazon. Brilliant. And we will definitely link those up in the show notes so people can quickly uh, access that. I think this is again, going to be a pretty amazing Christmas gift. I, I think I have it on my list for people in my life because like I said, pickleball's totally taken off. So um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you both. Is there anything else you'd love to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Thank you for listening. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think uh, the, like the theme that we like to say is just like to get your idea out there and start letting people rough it up a little bit. I think it's just like a general overarching thing we've learned is to, to not bury your idea kind of, or protect it so much that you're so worried about someone copying it or whatever. Um, it's just, we have had so much, we've, we've gained so much by even let's take paddle smash as an example, by getting it out, putting it out in the world in the early stages and letting people rough it up. Um, and I think that's just a general, like your ideas are not precious. 
uh, I know they feel that way to you right now, but they're not precious and you need to let them go out into the world and get roughed up um, because you'll end up with something far better on the other end. Yeah. And such a beautiful message to leave with, because I hear not only in, in product-based world where people are creating products and inventing things, but even in the service-based world, right? I hear lots of people saying like, well, I don't want to share that thing or the way that I do things because I don't want people to copy. And I just think it's, you know, such a beautiful message to leave with, because I think a lot of really great ideas just stay that ideas in our brain. And because we don't share them with the world and we don't let people rough them up and, and be able to create something really beautiful, which I think you guys have, have done with this, with this product. And I know, yes, a lot of products you've probably created, but this one's super unique and, and cool. And, uh, uh, I've loved having you guys on to share, share it with my listeners. So thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much. If they don't get you out buying Paddle Smash, I don't know what will. We're going to link up the link here so you can get your hands on it. Honestly, it just sounds like such a fun game. Just taking those two really fun games, Pickleball and Spikeball, and putting them together. But the other really cool thing is, is it's accessible. You can take it at the park. You can take it on holidays. I know when we would show up at the Pickleball courts in BC when we were there for vacation, they were always full. And so we'd have our hearts set on playing a game, but we'd show up and there'd be people there. And so we'd have to walk around being like, how much longer do you guys have? And when you leave, you run the risk of losing your spot in line. So this is just really cool, really fun, something that you can play with your family and your friends. So we're going to link it up so you can get your hands on it. Now on to the next episode. You know, I am all about tapping into your creative self-expression, especially if you want to stand out online and stand out as an entrepreneur. There's so much emulation. There's so much I need to do it this way because this is the way that I'm taught. And as you know, that ends up just diluting your message. So I thought, what better person to bring on to really express that creativity and really show you the creative process than a musician, right? Artists are tapping into that creative flow all the time. And I'm really excited for our next guest. She's a good friend of mine. She's a musician. She's the lead singer of the band King Queen. And they're getting ready to drop a brand new EP. And I am just really excited to have her on. Her name is Sabrina. She is the lead singer of King Queen. So subscribe to the show so you don't miss when we drop this episode next week because she has so much to say. Cheers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you right back here next time. You can also find us on social media at Creatively Owned and online at creativelyowned.com. Until next time, keep showing up as your authentic self.